Why isn't God answering my prayers? It's a great question. And that's a frustrating place to be. Why isn't God answering my prayers? That is a disturbing place to be. And if you survey the Bible, you'll probably find a dozen or so reasons that God may not be answering your prayers. You may find that maybe he's wanting you to wait on some things. I know that's not a fun answer, but sometimes he just, he kind of puts you on hold. Maybe he's wanting you to adjust what you're asking for. He, he wants you to pray according to his will. It may be that you're praying, but you're not listening to what the Lord's telling you. He may be answering. You're just not hearing what he's saying. So there's a lot of different reasons why God may not be answering our prayers. But when we get real serious and we want to troubleshoot our prayer life, I want to give you the, the top five things you got to check first. Write these down real quick. You, you ready for this? You can put them right here on your notes. The first one is this, lack of faith. He talks about in James chapter 1 that we're going to ask for wisdom from God without wavering, without doubting. We're not, we're not just being tossed to and fro by our feelings or by things. Faith. you got to have faith for God to answer your prayers. James 4.3, selfishness. You're, God's not answering your prayers because you're not praying if his answer is not going to give him glory. His, his answer's for you, right? It's selfishness can be a real hindrance to prayer. Here's a third one, guys. You need to pay attention to this. 1 Peter 3, 7 teaches us that if a man mistreats his wife and other women, that he doesn't dwell with understanding, that he uses his power and his dominance to get his way, that's going to hinder your prayer life. Guys, you better be right with your wife or you're not going to be right with God. So he talks about 1 Peter 3, 7, that, that a man mistreats his wife and other women that can hinder his prayer life. Here's another one. Pride and self-righteousness may be a reason God's not answering your prayer. Jesus tells a little parable about two guys that are praying. One guy, man, he's, I'm thankful I'm not like that dude. And I got my life together. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. And then the other guy's just broken before the Lord and and he's crying out. He's confessing his sin. And Jesus makes it really clear which one went home with their prayer answered. It wasn't that guy that was full of pride and self-righteousness. It was that guy that was broken over his sin. And then here's number five, and it's the one we find in Isaiah 59, and that is sin. Why isn't God answering my prayers? It may be a problem that you are living in sin. So that's the one, even though I gave it to you as number five, it's really the one that you need to check first. Because repentance from sin is to your prayer life. What unplug it and plug it back in is to your tech life. You follow me here? Anytime you have a tech problem and you call them, whether it's the cable company or your internet or whatever or your phone, what are they going to tell you to do first? Well, if you'll just turn it off and turn it, you know, unplug it and replug it, right? 
So earlier this week, our entire third floor went out, which meant the, the air wasn't working. None of the technology was working. The student ministries was Wednesday. So, you know, it had to come back on. So Scott's going around. He's scrambling, trying to figure out what's going on. He calls Jeff Epperson, who helps us with a, a lot of our tech stuff, set up a whole bunch of our stuff. And, and he told Scott to go find one of our many racks of blinking boxes, right? You know what I'm talking about? The racks of blinky boxes, right? You go find that. And you know what he told Scott to do? Unplug it, plug it back in. You know what happened when he plugged it back in? It all comes back on. It's, it's amazing how sometimes that, that simple of unplug, replug fixes a lot of things in your tech life. Listen, unplug, replug will also fix a lot of things in your prayer life. But unplug, replug is repent of sin. Check that first. Because what we tend to do when God will not answer our prayer is we'll try to troubleshoot God. Does he really love me? Does he like that person more than he likes me? Hey, go ahead and admit you've done that, right? Why is it always working out for them and it's not working out for me? I do that one all the time. What's wrong with God that I can't get that too, right? And then you try to mentally eliminate the Almighty. Well, there must not be a God. Maybe He's not even there. We begin to troubleshoot God. And Isaiah 59.1 is the rebuttal when God doesn't answer prayer and we try to troubleshoot Him. Isaiah 59.1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or His ear dull that it cannot hear. You see, Isaiah is preaching to a group of people that their prayer life has gone cold. If you read Isaiah 58, they're fasting and praying, man. I mean, that's what we're doing as a church. If, if you want to go check this message, Isaiah 58 is an important context of 59. And I preached on it several months ago, how the Lord told him, yeah, you're fasting, but I'm not honoring because you're hypocrites. Hypocrisy is a hindrance to, to God answering prayer and fasting. So they're wondering, why are we doing all this stuff, but the Lord is not working? He says, I, I assure you this, the problem is not me. He says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Listen, when God doesn't answer your prayers, he's still able. He remains powerful. He will ever be the Almighty One. That's that's never going to be the problem. Number two, he says, or it's ear dull that he cannot hear. God needs no hearing aids. If God's not answering your prayers, it's not because he stopped hearing prayer. He's just not answering prayer, right? So let's be real careful that we don't troubleshoot God. But yet, God's not working, and they're frustrated, and, and, and they express it in verse 10. We, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as with twilight among those full of vigor. We're like dead men. Man, th this idea of a blind man grabbing for the wall, man, that's one thing physically if that happens. But so many of us spiritually, we're just grabbing for anything, That'll give us some guidance, a little bit of stability. Man, you just, you get so desperate, you're just searching for something that will hold. 
That's a horrible place to be spiritually. Verse 11, we all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation. But it is far from us. Growling like bears and moaning like doves is somebody who's miserable. They're just making noise. It expresses anger. It seeks to intimidate. It wants to strike fear, but there's no clarity to it. There's no instructions about it. You're just noisy. Oh, you know, just that's the idea of man. There's just, there's no preaching. There's no prophecy. There's no healing words. It's just a bunch of miserable noise. You ever been there spiritually? When you're there spiritually, don't troubleshoot God. If you read verse 9, you see, Therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. That's a very negative way to put that. But I want you to flip that over in the positive. God wants to overtake you with righteousness and justice. He wants to fix some things going on in your life. He wants to make them right. And we hope for light and behold darkness for brightness and we walk in doom. Listen, God wants to give you clarity. He wants to to give you light in those dark situations. So if you ever get into the situation where you're praying and God is not answering your prayer, the problem isn't God. He is always God. Listen, no one has more passion to answer your prayer than God does. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to bring revival and refreshing in your life. He wants to overtake you with righteousness and justice. He wants to bless his people and increase their faith. God wants to glorify Jesus in his plan. God wants to expand his kingdom in your story. No one is more passionate about what they want to do in their life than God is. So if all of those things become your troubleshooting when, is, when God's not answering, pull that page out of your troubleshooting guide and throw it in the trash because that's not the problem. But check this, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That needs to be troubleshooting step number one. Unplug, replug. And that verse right there teaches us some very practical theological things. So so number one, it teaches us that even when God is not answering our sin or answering our prayer, he's still your God. The relationship is not severed. Notice, he says, you're God, right? He he hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't left them. But number two, it teaches us this practical theological thing that saved people sin. Saved people sin. He says, you're God, but he also says, it's your sin. Now, unfortunately, this is going to be one of those things that you and I are going to deal with the rest of our life on earth Because we have this thing called flesh. 
And Romans chapter 7 tells you, man, even when you want to do good, evil is always present. There's always this thing pulling at you. And so even saved people sin. You, you shouldn't, but you will. So always check that first. And you know what? Sometimes we can get into attitudes and situations and allow sin in our life. We don't even know we're doing it. So pull the plug, repent, plug it back in, and let's check that first. But it also teaches us this practical theological statement, sin causes separation. He says, your iniquities have made a separation. He's still your God. He knows your, that you sin, but it does cause separation. What does that word separation mean? We experience this in human relationships. Maybe you've got these friends or a friend, and man, either once a month or once a week maybe, y'all meet up for coffee or you, you go out for lunch or your families get together for dinner. There's a regular pattern to the relationship, but... Maybe some words were said, maybe some things were done, and you're still friends, but you're not getting together like you used to. It's, it's gotten a little cold, right? That's separation. We're just not going to talk about it. Separation. You experience it in your parent-child relationships. Maybe... There's a child in, in your family, and they, um, maybe it's a, a student, and there's deception, and there's disrespect, and they're making some, some poor choices, and they come to you, and they go, hey, can I have the keys to the car? Really? No. <sighs> right? Now, six months ago, this, child, this, this student was making great decisions. They were respectful to their parents. Man, if you gave them the car, you knew where they were going to go, and you knew they were telling you the truth. Now you're not so sure. Six months ago, you'd have tossed the keys because there was favor there. Yeah, man. Y'all go have a great time. See you when you get back. Now, because of the deception, the disrespect, and just the... Flat out lack of trust. I'm still dad. And I still love you. But there's separation. You see that? That's, it's not that you've severed the relationship, but the favor is gone. You can't answer the request like you used to. That same thing happens with you and God. So y'all know what happens, right? Keith, you listening to me? Y'all know what happens. So you, you, we'll talk after the service. You listen, okay? You, you know what happens when, when this takes place with a student. What did I do? What did I do? Okay. <laughs> That's a manipulative question because what they're really asking is, do you know all I did, Right? So God says, okay, let's, let's go through, here's what you did, starting in verse 3. And, and I want you to notice how he just weaves all this together, one verse after another verse after another verse. It's so powerful. 
that I want you to notice how deeply involved we are in our sins and how acutely aware he is of what we've done. Notice he uses the word, verse 3, your hands are defiled. Your fingers, your, your lips, your tongue. Verse 7, your feet, your thoughts. Boy, he goes from top to bottom. And it's not even just the physical part of us, but it's also the mental, emotional part of us. Man, we are thoroughly involved in sin. And don't miss this. He knows exactly what you've done, when you did it, and why you did it. Sin brings a lot of destruction in our lives. Notice how he heaps the words here. Let's go back to verse 3. Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Verse 4, we see lies and iniquity again. Verse 7, your feet run to evil. They're swift to shed innocent blood. That's a lot of destruction. And listen, God cannot bless when you've made a mess of everything else. When you have brought disruption and disturbance and sin and hurt and pain into your family and maybe into your work relationships, maybe into your church, I'm going to tell you, God's going to put answering your prayer on the shelf for a little bit. He's not going to bless somebody who is just wreaking havoc in everybody else's life. He's not going to give favor to that behavior. And man, notice how thoroughly we get in our sin. There, in, in the Bible, there are sins where you... You sinned because you didn't know it. That's not what we're talking about. You sinned and it was an accident. That's not what we're talking about. But then there's a kind of sin where you scheme it up. You hid it because you didn't want to be caught or you didn't want anybody. And, and you worked. You made decisions where you could keep this in a place. But in the end, you... So he says this, notice this. Verse four, no one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas and speaking lies. In other words, they just yell emotional statements that are void of truth. Boy, that's our culture now, isn't it? We don't want to go on facts. We want to go on the feelings. And notice how many times, even in your home, in an argument, you go straight to feelings and we cannot talk about facts. He says, that's sinful. And then he uses the words, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. It's like the birth cycle. It's in, in, in a womb, man. You've conceived this child. It incubates there, it grows to maturity. Sin does the same thing. Man, you've kept it there and you're letting it work its way till you do what you're going to do. And he says, then they hatch adder's eggs. And notice, he who eats those eggs dies. 
And from that one crushed is a viper is hatched. In other words, when the, when the viper comes out of the egg, that's the adder. It's a highly poisonous snake. He says, man, it, it's going to kill you. Give it time, it'll kill you. Listen, sin, give it time, it'll kill you. And then he also likens it to a spider's web. What's a spider's web? It's a trap. You put it up there, it's elaborate. But once that thing you were going for hits it, kill it. That's, it'll stick you and then it'll kill you. That's what sin will do. He says, man, you conceive the mischief. It's, it's thorough, it's a scheme inside of us. And here's the thing. We don't have to go through that list. And I don't have to stand up here and go, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Okay, what's the problem? Because listen, you know what it is. Your wife may not know what it is. Your husband may not know what it is. Your children may not know what it is. Nobody else in the church may know what it is. You know exactly what it is. You know, I didn't have to give you this sermon so that you would know why God is not answering your prayer. You know it. Look at verse 12. Our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. You know it. Transgressing and denying the Lord, turning back from following God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, righteousness stands far away, truth is stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. At some point, if we continue to live in sin, God will intervene. He will intervene. And the Bible tells us a couple of ways that he might do that. One of them we talked about in man church on Wednesday night. He'll expose your sin. He'll let you get caught. If any brother, man, he is, he's, he is caught in a transgression, you restore him with gentleness, right? He'll, he'll expose it because he's hoping the church will become a restorative body that uses biblical church discipline in a way to bring that brother back because we all know we could all do the same thing he did. Galatians 6, he'll expose the sin and let the church do its work. 1 Corinthians 5, man, this is a disturbing passage. A brother sinning in the church, Paul says, I'm not even there, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do with that guy. He will not repent of his sin. I, listen, y'all need to, and he uses the words, deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul may be saved in the day of redemption. Woo! I'm not even sure what that means, but I can tell you, I don't want it to happen to me. It's consequence. He says, just they're, they're so deep into it, let it work itself out in their life. It'll destroy them in this life, but maybe it'll save them in the next. Consequence. It's a bad way to go. 
Hebrews 12, chastisement. God will discipline you like a father does a child. He'll, he'll, he'll discipline you to restore you, to bring you back, to help you to understand, man, you. Or Isaiah 59, he'll withdraw his favor. He'll stop answering prayer. But he will intervene. And when he intervenes, we have a choice. It can either be wrath or revival. He says, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his, un, uh, his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. The helmet of salvation on his head. And man, if you've read Ephesians chapter 6, you can tell this kind of echoes what you see in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. I read a great commentary on this this week, and he says, don't, pay, don't try to figure out what the, the breastplate is or the helmet is. Look at what it brings. He says, that's the point of this passage. Look at what it brings. And in this case, revival... He's bringing righteousness and salvation. The Lord's working again. There's no more groaning and groping and, and lacking clarity, man. They got some things right. The Lord is not only working in the church, but he's working in people's lives to save them. That's what we want. Or he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak, according to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. Why? Here's the point of it all, y'all. When God intervenes, this is the point. So that they may fear the name of the Lord. God will bring back the fear of God to his people when he intervenes, either by wrath or revival. Our choice. They'll fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. He will right, reprioritize his people to make his glory the ultimate priority, not ours, his. Either by wrath or revival, he'll bring it about. He'll come like a rushing stream with the wind of the Lord dries. And listen to this, y'all, verse 20. Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Why isn't God answering my prayer? It may be because he's waiting to answer this one. God, I repent. Will you please forgive me of my sin? That's the one that's got everything else on hold. He's waiting on you to unplug and replug. So as a church, if I were to kind of kind of trying to put my finger on our troubleshooting list of because gosh, y'all, we're we're fasting and praying and you know, we we had this thing last July where people gathered together to really seek the Lord. And it was pretty powerful. We did it again in January. There weren't as many people as there were here in July, but man, it was pretty powerful then. 
And we fasted and we prayed. And in February, we had this, this five-hour thing that morning and two-hour thing that night. God's really moving in a powerful way. But, but I still sense, I still hear the bear groaning and I still hear the, the dove moaning. Frustration and why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? Without a lot of clarity. Anger, fear, not a lot of clarity. I sense in our church, even though we're fasting and praying and doing, there's some groping going on. We're, we're just trying to find what is it. I, I had this conversation with three of our men on Wednesday night. Sat down with them. Man, what, what, what's going on? Trying to grab it, right? So I'm groping too, right? What's, what's God doing? So I think there's two things that we've got to consider on our troubleshooting list. I think the first one is, one of our problems is we have not because we ask not. James 4.3. I don't, I don't see us as a very prayerful church. You know, you're like, oh, Brian, we pray, man, like before class and all that kind of stuff. If I were to call a prayer meeting on Sunday nights, would y'all be here? The reason we're not meeting anymore on Sunday nights to pray is because you quit coming here. And we've called together people to pray before, and, and it's not very well attended. And people tell me things like, man, I just kind of, I don't, I don't want to be in a, you know. Come on. And I think our church is very talented. And I think because we're so talented, we can really solve a lot of problems kind of ourselves. And, and one of the things that that talent will do is it'll make you forget that you need the Holy Spirit. And I think we just try a bunch of stuff a lot of times because we're just trying to, we're reacting to what this person said or we're trying to solve that problem there or we're trying to get more people to come here but we really don't, as a church, just practice putting something before the Lord, praying about it, and waiting on Him to answer. I'm not really sure in the future of what we're trying to do as a church, I'm not really sure how much of it we've really prayed about. I think there's a have-not because you ask not. And listen, guys, man, we need to remember, you don't need to troubleshoot God. Nobody, nobody wants to give you more of what He has prepared for you that your thoughts and hearts and human plans cannot conceive. Only what the Lord has prepared for His people. That's what He wants to give us. So boy, Let's pray. But here's number two. Are we living in sin? I, I hear a lot of guys. I'm just going to talk to the men because I can... 
I'm an M1, right? Let's put this there. We got a lot of excuses. Why aren't you at man church? Oh, God, I'm busy. You know, things going on. It's kind of, I don't really like discussion groups and I don't really like this. I don't really like that. And I want to tell you, if we just kept chasing what everybody, you didn't have the childcare, you didn't have that, or you didn't, that, that just, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. All the reasons why people won't do things. But I wonder if it's really because we're just flat living in sin. That's why it won't work. Is that really why you're not here? Not with other brothers, doing what Christian people do. Read the Bible, flesh it out, grow the relationships, and hold one another accountable. Is it, is it not because you don't like the program, but is it really because we're just flat out living in sin? Same thing could be said of the women's ministry. I feel like sometimes our women's leadership, man, we're just chasing after everything, trying to, to figure out something that works. But let me ask you something, women. Is it really because in the secret places of your heart, you're harboring sin? If that's the case, if we just try to run around trying to figure out what works, all we're trying to do, y'all, is troubleshoot God. And that's wrong. Nobody is more passionate to answer your prayer and show you his love and his commitment to his kingdom and his glory than your God. But your sin has caused a separation. I think at the very least, we need to check that first before we keep groping for the wall and moaning in misery. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment? So I want to encourage you to do this. It's an invitation time. The altar's open. If you got to go, you, you roll, whatever. You, you want to sit in your seat and pray, cool. You want to bring somebody with you, awesome. But I want to encourage you to, to, to submit this question to the Lord. Is there sin in my life that has caused separation? You're still my God. But I know that I've... What is it? Listen to Him. And He'll tell you how to fix it. Because man, He wants to answer your prayers. Boy, He wants to work powerfully through the lives of people. Don't ever doubt that. He wants it to work. So I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there'll be some people just standing down here. You go to them, they'll take the Word of God and they'll show you how to be saved. But we're going to open up the altar, man. If you need to pray, you're like, boy, I just need to get some things cleaned up before we move on. You come and you get in this altar. If there's other things you need to pray about, you come on. But Heavenly Father God, we come to you this morning. And we want to check first. Are we living in sin? Lord, I know there's been things in my life and the leadership of this church. Pride has motivated it. Fear has motivated it. 
Lord, I know unclean places in my life, God. And so, Lord, I repent of those sins. I'm sorry for those sins. Lord, cleanse my life. God, I know you want to work powerfully and answer our prayers and fasting, the fasting and praying of this year. Lord, you want to overwhelm us with how many things are made right when you begin to work and to move. So God, I pray you give us light, clarity, patience to pray. Lord, I pray that you forgive the transgression of your people because we turn to you. We don't want wrath. We want revival. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? If the Lord's calling you to come and to pray, you come on right now. Come on.